Well, God is good. And all the time. All right, we're going to have a chance to meet and greet if you haven't had a chance to do that yet. So why don't you take a moment if you're here and even at home, I guess you can meet and greet at home if someone just woke up and wandered into your room. Uh, But take a moment here and turn and smile and wave at somebody and uh, holler, give them your name, tell them you're glad to see them, you know, and all of that good stuff. All right, and now you know what we get to do, uh, us here in person, uh, there's Isaac. Everyone say hi to Isaac. Sometimes we forget the camera guy. He's going to pan, and then you guys get to meet and greet for everyone at home and around the country, around the uh, state there. Say good morning to them on this January 31st. All right. That was... uh, that was some good worship, amen? I was over there um, just listening and uh, really uh, was struck uh, this morning of how powerful and, and meaningful it is to gather as a church. And not just here, but, but even at home. And welcome again for all of you who are at home. I don't know which camera I'm supposed to be looking at. I'll go there and there. Um, and it's, it's powerful. It's meaningful uh, and necessary, and necessary, and uh, something when we gather as a church, I don't know about you, but for me, when we gather, and uh, we fellowship, and then we go into worship, and then we're in the Word, and we have communion, uh, I don't know about you, but something uh, in the whole experience of it, it reminds me at a very deep level that God is still in control, yes. right? Somehow, he, he designed us to gather corporately and to make him the sole focus of our worship and attention that profoundly we are reminded and we find great peace, uh, perhaps even in the circumstance globally, nationally, even in the circumstances of your life. You come and, you know, we're, we're kind of used to it, but, but maybe when you come, God just wants you to come to remind you how much he loves you, how much he cares about you, and that he is still God. He is still God. And when we gather for this time that we have on a Sunday or if you on a you know, Tuesday night or you're with a men's group or a women's Bible study or you get together with the youth, you know, the significance isn't just what we sing and just going through the motions of what we're supposed to do in a service or the Bible study. I think really, especially in 2021 and moving forward, there's just this power, this sense that, you know what? The church is still marching on. We are still the church. And we talked this morning in in our leadership uh, meeting, you know, we don't know what it looks like a month from now, two months from now, you know, we've sort of let go of this idea that once we get back inside, then we'll get back to normal. We've let go of that. And here's the thing, when you let go of, you know, these circumstantial changes in your life, right? How many of us tend to be in a circumstance and rather than trying to seek Lord in the, circum- the Lord in the circumstance, we're just asking God to change the circumstance. Right, usually to how we would like him to do things. Anyone ever make a list and say, God, here's my prayer request for how I'd like you to change this. Can you just sign off on this? How many of you have a prayer request? It's more of a sign off, right? If you would just do it my way, things would really 
make me much happier. Thank you, Lord. And so as a church, what we've done is we've let go of, you know, the idea that we've got to get back in there. And as we have done that, I got to tell you something that's really, really changed, probably in a, in a, in a really good, healthy way for us as a church uh, moving forward, is when you let go of the when and you live in the present, you celebrate the present much more deeply. We really do. And I'm hoping that you're celebrating being here. Because you know how circumstances go. I mean, quite literally, we might not be here uh, for whatever the powers that be may think, may change, weather, whatever. And so when you let go of these, Lord, change this into, Lord, I just want to be in the present with you, watch what he does. Even now, even if you're here, if you're at home, right now, just, just let go of how you would like God to change whatever it is, fill in the blank, and just say, Lord, here I am right now. Lord, I am choosing to be fully present. And I'm choosing right now to, through the power of the Holy Spirit to be in tune with your word, not just to hear it, but to be a doer. And I, and I want to enjoy the fellowship of the brethren, the brothers and sisters in person, online. Lord, I just want to be here. And I want to let go of all the things that I carried into today, into the service, the, the burdens, the cares, the fears, the concerns, the anger, the confusion, whatever it might be in that realm. I just want to be here, and I just want to be fully present before you. Can we do that this morning? Amen. Let's just do that, because as we move into, into Ephesians 6, continuing on, uh, the Apostle Paul we're going to see today, it, it's the, the passage is so appropriate and so applicable to January 31st, 2021, to my life and your life. It, it, it's amazing, again, that we're in Ephesians in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a political change, a global change, economic change. And into this circumstance, which for many of you here, many of you online, uh, extremely challenging. I don't know your circumstance. I don't know your health circumstance. I don't know your financial circumstance, your relational, your employer, employer. I don't know any of that. But what I do know is that what we're going to see through this passage is that whatever your circumstance, you can be radically transformed right now through the Word of God. Because ultimately, whatever circumstance you're in as a believer, it deals with your heart and your focus. Okay? And so uh, we've seen uh, the last several weeks that God has been dealing with relationships in our life. He talked about submitting to one another in the church. He talked about uh, husbands and wives relationship. Last week, children and parents. And this week, he's going to talk about uh, bond servants and masters or slaves and masters. And uh, culturally, you know, like, okay, how's that going to apply to us? Uh, you're going to see that it really has to do with you and I living under circumstances of authority, of submission, where we're challenged by those in charge, when we're put in positions where, man, I just feel like I'm at the whim of this person, and how am I supposed to deal with this, right? Or this circumstance, how do I deal with this? And so, you know, we're going to be in Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, and then like I've done the last few weeks, we're going to broaden it out into the application uh, to January 31st, 2021, and moving forward. So Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, we're going to read it in the English Standard Version. Okay, it says this. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, 
doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he is who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Okay, so in the uh, New International Version, instead of bondservant, it says slaves. In the New King James Version, it says uh, servants. The Greek word is doulos. And, and it can refer to uh, someone who voluntarily submits, okay, places them in the service of someone. But usually it, re- it refers to involuntary, permanent service of a slave. Okay, and just kind of give you some cultural context. They're, they're talking uh, in the time of Rome. Okay, a very high percentage, I was, I was doing some research, uh, some people say that upwards of 30% of the population were considered slaves, okay, at this time. Now, now that word slave, many of you may have this, when I say the word slave, you, you may have a picture, right, depending on movies you've watched or your history, right, but, but it's, pretty, it's a pretty broad term, slave, bond servant, servant. Uh, some slaves were kidnapped, a very high percentage of them were captured in war and brought back. Uh, sometimes abandoned babies, right? Family couldn't, uh, couldn't take care of a family. They would abandon it, and a baby would be found and ultimately sold into slavery. Uh, some people were sold into slavery due to debt, to pay off debts. Uh, there was manual labor. A lot of the slaves worked in the mines and in agriculture, in the fields. Uh, there, was, there was a whole category of domestic slaves, right? Cook, clean, take care of the home, the domestic side. And then it was interesting, in this culture, uh, the tradesmen, a lot of the trades were considered slaves. They were actually slaves. And then they actually had a category, what, what one person calls white-collar slaves. That actually came into the homes and helped run the home, a very high level of, of freedom and authority, but they were still slaves. Okay, And, and, and I share that with you to kind of un- get you to understand that this idea of, of slavery isn't just harsh conditions. Uh, sometimes the slaves actually benefited because of, if otherwise they would literally have died. Uh, because they had no resources, okay? And, and so it was, it's a big term, it's a big term, um, but for many of the slaves, it was cruel. It was horrible, okay? Uh, in fact, in the, in the world of agriculture, uh, imagine this, um, a slave was not considered a, a person, but a thing. A slave was considered a tool that happened to talk. Think about that. So if you have a tool at home and you just, you're done with it and you toss it to the side, right? No care, concern, it's just my tool, it's just my rake, it's just my... That's how slaves, right? Or, yeah, or Randy, right? Remember Randy? How many of you remember Randy, his tools, right? Okay. How many of you could never aspire to Randy? How many of you just look for a wrench in the... In the... How many of you have the drawer of tools? You're like, where? Right? And then you look at Randy and you're like, Okay. So other than Randy, we have tools that, you know, and, and so these slaves literally were, 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 you know, many of them born into these conditions. It was permanent. And here's the crazy thing about Ephesians, the passage we just read. The Apostle Paul is writing to Christians. Slaves and slave owners, masters who had become believers, And he's writing specifically, remember, Ephesus is a letter to believers. So he's saying, hey, you Christian slaves, hey, you Christian masters, this is how you are now to operate. 
Okay, this is how you are to operate. Here's a a little quote to help us from the uh, Expositor's Greek Testament commentary. It says, here, as elsewhere in the New Testament, slavery is accepted as an existing institution, which is neither formally condemned nor formally approved. There's nothing to prompt revolutionary action or to encourage repudiation of the position. Onesimus, the Christian convert, is sent back by Paul to his master, Philemon, and the institution is left to be undermined and removed by the gradual operation of the great Christian principles of the equality of men in the sight of God and a common Christian brotherhood, the spiritual freedom of the Christian man and the lordship of Christ to which every other lordship is subordinate. Let me, let me just kind of reframe this. What he's saying, what, the, what they're saying here is, look, the Apostle Paul didn't write to the slaves to rise up in rebellion. Understand that. This wasn't a call for revolution. What he was saying was, in the context of your present situation, this is how you are to act. This is how you are to glorify God in the context of your current situation. Now we got to take a step right here. Let's just bring this right up to January 31st, 2021. In the context of your current situation, how are you supposed to be glorifying God today? Not rising up in rebellion, not asking God to bring revolution and change your circumstance. As you sit here, Did you wake up this morning and say, God, rather than asking you to change everything, how am I supposed to glorify you today in my current circumstance? Understanding some of these slaves were in horrific conditions. Horrific. Could have been killed, no problem. Could have been sold, no problem. Abused, no problem. And so, rather than rising up in rebellion and revolution, the Apostle Paul says, hey, slaves and masters, in the context of your given situation, this is what you are to do as believers. So this, is what, this, this brings the application to everybody here, everybody listening. Don't ask God to change it today. Ask God to change you. Ask God to transform you, to bring some clarity. Maybe you've been so angry. Maybe you've been depressed. Maybe you've been confused. Maybe you're pretty bent right now. And it's mostly because you're focusing outward on circumstances and people. And maybe this morning God wants to free you because he says, no. It begins with you. It begins with your, it begins with your heart. Don't be so focused on that person. Don't be so focused on that circumstance. Don't keep asking me, when is this going to get over? When am I going to be free? Like this late. No. This morning, ask God, say, God, is it me? How can you change me? Right? And he says, he gives, some, he gives a few, not a lot, it's interesting, he doesn't give a, this big laundry list of to-dos. He says, you know, have integrity, sincerity of heart, be a person of integrity. Uh, he says, you know, not as people pleasers. When he says eye service, he says, hey, you know what, do your job well, not just when the boss is around, right? How many of you as a kid, right? Mom and dad come through, 
you know, as soon as the boss leaves, <laughs> okay, whew, coast is clear, right? Right? He says, no, hey, not, as, not, as, not with eye service, not as people pleasers. Don't be trying to butter them up just by, you know, uh, performing only when the boss is around. How many of you remember that show, uh, Undercover Boss? Remember that when the president or the CEO would, would put on a uh, costume and then go down the front lines? And, you know, I always kind of felt a little bit nervous for the employee when they're about to kind of go off and you're like, eee! or, you know, they're on break. And, you know, they tended to show all the, the good employees usually. Uh, but he's saying, hey, you know what? Do the will of God as a lifestyle, right? And do your job well, whether or not the boss man or boss woman is around, right? And, and in fact, in Colossians 3, in the New Living Translation, it says this, very similar. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. Powerful, powerful transformative passage if you just would ponder that in your present circumstance. Where's your focus been? Who are you really serving, right? And then in Ephesians 6, 9, Apostle Paul talks to masters or slave owners who had become believers. He says this, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. What he's saying is, hey, slaves, this is how you are to respond biblically in your current condition. And he's, what he's saying to masters is, you too. You have biblical principles and biblical guidelines to abide by even as a Christian slave owner, okay? So he's talking to both. They both had the same master. Warren Wiersbe says this, the Christian faith does not bring about harmony by erasing social or cultural distinctions. Servants are still servants when they trust Christ and masters are still masters. Rather, the Christian faith brings harmony by working in the heart, Christ gives us a new motivation, not a new organization. Both servant and master are serving the Lord and seeking to please him. And in this way, they are able to work together for the glory of God. Amen? So you see, actually, this principle was huge in ultimately doing away with slavery because people's hearts were being changed. And people were relating differently. And so the, the, the context, the institution of slavery changed over time because the people changed. The people change. And, and I shared this uh, with you before. One of my friends used to be a pastor down in Orange County. And in his particular church, uh, they would have ashtrays in the front. This was years and years ago. And someone asked my, my friend, said, why do you guys have ashtrays out in your courtyard? Do you guys condone smoking here? Right? And kind of one of those finger-wagging moments. And my friend says, no. We just understand that people smoke. And we want them to come. And we believe that over time, they come to know the Lord and understand stewardship of their body and, you know, yield it to, to the Lord and want to be transformed, that God will deal with their smoking. It's transformation from the inside out. Right? And, and this is what we're talking about is a lot of times we get focused on the externals and we point fingers and we want to blame shift. And, and really the heart of the passage is, you know what? No, it begins with your heart and my heart. 
Is God transforming us? Can God still transform you and me today? Right? If you believe that God can still transform you here or online, say amen. Amen. Okay, just remember you said that because here we go. (laughs) Right? (laughs) He's like, he got me again. He always does that. He tells me to put my hand up. Then he says, don't forget you put your hand up or something. So how do we do this? How do we do this? Well, we gotta, I wanna, what I want to do is I want to take, and we're going to look at this whole passage again, and we're going to look at a couple key phrases in it that, that I really, as I was praying about it, and it's like, okay, here we go. This, this is what matters. So, uh, Eileen, if you put up Ephesians 6, 5 through 9 again, and I'm going to disappear from the screen, I believe, because we want the whole thing up. It says, slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely. And then I underlined, as you would serve Christ. And then in verse 7, it says, work with enthusiasm as you were working, as though you were working for the Lord. Okay. I'm going to leave that up, Eileen, for a bit. As you would serve Christ, as though you were working for the Lord. Okay. So if you're currently employed, think about that for just a moment. Take your eyes off of your earthly boss, your earthly supervisor, whoever is an authority over you, as you would serve Christ, as though you were working for the Lord. Now, if you're not employed and you're enjoying retirement or whatever your current situation is, or you're waiting and hoping to get back to work, in your own life, as you would serve Christ, as though you were working for the Lord, as though actually Jesus was master in your everyday life. And you woke up this morning and said, I want to serve you, Jesus, and everything I do today as if you were, I was working for the Lord, right? Think about this, and, and, and Candy and Cindy, I thought of you, right? Uh, Lord willing, and pray for them to get back to work, ASAP, that would be wonderful, right? But in their line of work, of, of waiting on people, right? Challenging, right? At, at times, you know, and except when we come, right? Then, then, it's, just, then it's just fun, right? Uh, but imagine if, if, if your profession was waiting on people, right? And you, you usually get, this, get the same, you know, the, all over the spectrum. But imagine, you, you, hey, Cindy, hey, Cindy, the Lord's here. And he wants to sit in your section. Sure. <laughs> Hope he tips good, huh? <laughs> right, all right. <laughs> what would that do differently? If the Lord, oh yeah, right, <laughs> suddenly... If, if literally you were serving the Lord in your section. But that's what we're supposed to be doing in our life. Wouldn't that have a profound impact on your life and my life if we were actually serving the Lord? Like, wow. Like, heavy, but also a privilege. What a privilege to actually bless Him. You think about that? Sometimes we think serving the Lord has to be heavy and drudgery and all the, oh, I did, I did so bad, I did so bad. How about you want to just bless the Lord by serving him? Right? I want to bless him. Right? Be like five times, need more water? Need more. <laughs> Take care of the Lord. Right? Well, that same heart should be our heart every day. I want to serve the Lord. As though we were serving the Lord, Right? And, and yet, what do we tend to do? We tend to fixate on man and circumstance. 
That's who we're serving because that's where we get our paycheck. Or that's who always is the critical one. And that's who I'm trying to please. And so we fixate on men and circumstance rather than, no, as believers. And remember, Paul is speaking to slaves, many of them in horrific life conditions. And he's saying, in that horrific life condition, I am challenging you to change your focus to serving the Lord. Applies to us today. Applies if you're a teenager and you're dealing with your parents and you're a believer. Serve the Lord, not just mom and dad. Powerful transformation, right? Ray Stedman says this. Several times the idea is put forth. Never work for men, you Christians. Work only for God. You can work under a person's direction, but remember that you are working unto the Lord. That your daily task is work that he has given you to do, and you do it unto him. What a glory this gives to every task. If you approach your work like this, you will never have another dull day. You will never be bored stiff with the routine and humdrum of what you have to do if you recognize that you are doing it with the eye of the Lord upon you and with the recognition that one day it will be made open and clear to all whether you did it as unto the Lord or unto men. Amen? Amen. You know what that means? You can do the dishes as unto the Lord. You can do those chores at home as unto the Lord. There's nothing dull or routine about it. I mean, I'm serious, and I'm not putting my... Sometimes, you know, there's just things at home, the leaves and the sidewalk and the things that I just don't want to do. And honestly, there's been times when I've said, okay, Lord, I'm just going to do this for you. I'm just going to do this for you. You know, I want the house to look nice outside. I want to glorify you. I want to be a testimony to you, you know, or the dishes. I, okay, Lord, you know, and, you know, like, begrudgingly you got the pile of dishes and you just start... And I don't know about you, but sometimes even if just starting, how many of you have had a time with the Lord doing the dishes? Anyone? Yes. Some people are like, doing what? Huh? Huh? <laughs> that's, that's possible? I encourage you. You can do it if your heart and mind are right. You just roll up your sleeves or whatever you do, and you just start doing them, and suddenly you know how to do it, so your mind goes to the Lord. And you do it as unto the Lord. And it's so transformative when you get your mind and your heart off of people and circumstance. The last nine months to a year, we've had so much negativity and fear and like oppression placed upon us that many people are in bondage to that mindset. And that mindset has just created a when this is over reaction. When this is over. And what the Lord wants to say to us through his word today is don't wait for when it's over. Start right now. Start right now. Okay. And then he says this, and how do you start right now? Let's go back to that passage, Eileen, and I underline two other phrases. And if you're comfortable in your Bibles, you can underline, highlight, circle, whatever. And in this time in Ephesians 5, 6 through 9, in verse 6, I underline, as slaves of Christ. And then in verse 9, you both have the same master in heaven. As slaves of Christ. Now, think about that. Who's he writing to? Slaves. Hmm. He's telling slaves and slave masters that they're now slaves of Christ. He's challenging how they view themselves. Because, see, they're consumed with their position and their circumstance. And what he's trying to do is challenge them with their identity in Christ. And part of their identity in Christ is that they are now slaves of Christ, not just slaves of man. 
not just slaves of Rome. There's a spiritual truth here that actually brings freedom. Okay? Now, uh, in the New Testament, the word bondservant, slave, or servant is really applied to someone who's devoted to Jesus. Devoted, committed to Jesus is a bondservant of Christ. And in fact, uh, if you read the New Testament, uh, Paul, Timothy, James, Peter, Jude, they all refer to themselves as bondservants or servants of Christ. Now, usually it's in verse 1 of the letter, right? Uh, like Romans 1.1 says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Usually it's in verse 1, so we just kind of skip it. We're like, eh, 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 okay, servant, right? The other thing we tend to do when we see that is we tend to think that a bondservant or a servant of Christ, those are the big dogs, right? And we read it like this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, right? And, and we get this weird picture in our head that a servant of Christ Jesus is a pastor, an apostle, right? A big wig. Um, the truth is, we're all bondservants of Christ. We're all bondservants, slaves of Christ. Now, it's weird because when I say slave of Christ, it has such a negative connotation, a negative, you're like, I'm a slave of no one, right? And that's why this is particularly challenging because the word slave, doulos, means someone who sets aside, willingly sets aside all rights, to serve someone else. Let me say that again because this goes against our good old American dream and our good old American values. A doulos, a servant, sets aside all their rights to serve someone else. What do you usually hear in our country and how we've been raised? Exercise my rights. Assert my rights. Guard my rights. These are my rights. You can't take them away. Right? And so now we're confronted as Christians, even in this country, with, wait, I'm a bondservant of Christ? I'm called to lay aside all my rights to Jesus? Hmm. See, this is why I think a lot of us might be struggling even in our spiritual walk. Because we're holding on to my rights and my wants and my desires and my kingdom, and my money, and my time. When a true servant of Christ, which we already are in Christ, lays it all aside. You set all your rights aside and you say, you are Lord. You are master. I lay all my rights aside. Right? And, and, and this is so challenging and this is where you have to really Take the time. You can't just gloss over this because this is where many of us in our culture, we've kind of hit, we've hit a, a, a plateau spiritually because you might be hanging on to some rights. Remember Diatheke, greater to lesser? Remember pick up, take up your cross daily and follow him? Maybe there's something, a right that you have that you still want to hold on to. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says this, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. Question, believers, what was the price that you were purchased with? 
the blood of Christ. You're not your own. You've been bought. You don't actually have any rights. <laughs> but that's, that's not a negative. Because think about this, okay? Because again, this is, this is, this is, for many of us, this is really tough because you've been raised to hold on to your rights and guard your rights and protect your rights. And suddenly you're hearing this morning, you have no rights <laughs> in Christ. Amen? You've been bought with the price. And if you meditate on that, if you think about the price that was willingly paid by Jesus for you, you would willingly give up your rights. You would want to. This is all about a want to serve. I want to submit. I want to give up everything to you, Jesus, because my name is written in the book of life. Because I once was lost, now I'm found. Because I once was blind, but now I see. Because I once was on my way to hell, now I'm on my way to heaven. Amen? Amen. You give it all up. You give it all up because in his grace, he gave it all up first. He gave it all up first, right? And here's, here's, I love this quote. It says, what a glorious paradox. Slaves that have been set free from sin and into the liberty of enslavement to the perfect master, Jesus Christ. Paul is speaking to born-again, spirit-filled slaves. And as such, they were not only the slaves of human masters, but they were now slaves of their divine master. As slaves of Christ, they were to be totally surrendered to his will. Okay, which in context called for a continual willingness to be filled with and controlled by the Holy Spirit in order to carry out the command to be obedient. Here's the thing, guys. As a slave of Christ, I am free of man. When I surrender all my rights to him, I have so much freedom on the earthly world. I don't have to worry about pleasing man. I don't have to worry about getting all this. I'm free. It's, a, it's this incredible, beautiful paradox. As a slave of Christ, I am enjoying so much more freedom. So much more freedom. I'm not even a slave to sin. I've been set free from that, right? And so there's implications for this, even to our witness in the world. I've shared this verse with you a couple times around Christmas, right? Titus 2, 9 and 10. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So here's the here's thing I've shared with you. Remember, uh, many of you, a couple Christmases, you got these. Remember the ornaments, right? And, and I shared with you that when we live lives that honor God, according to this verse, we adorn the doctrine. That word adorn is where we get the word cosmetics. It means also to ornament. Okay, now I, I gave these out a couple Christmases, these ornaments with Titus 2, 9, and 10, and it says adorn doctrine. Because here's the deal. Your life and my life are to be ornaments for the gospel. Why do you put ornaments on a tree? To make it prettier, right? Ladies, why do you put cosmetics on? It's the same thing, right? Right? So that, you know, you put ornaments on the tree and you put cosmetics on because you want it to be attractive. You want people to be pleasing the eye. You want people to desire, right? Like, oh, check that out. That's, you know, talking about the tree. Okay, oh, you know, look at that, right? But it's designed to be attractive. These verses say, let your life be an ornament. Let your life be attractive. Question. If I were to ask the people in your circle, well, 
based on uh, Robert's life, can you tell me what your view of Christianity is? Is it attractive or not attractive? Right? Not Robert? I'm attractive, right? Oh, see, you even got a vote, Robert. Someone said attractive, right? Wouldn't that be kind of scary if I said, okay, we're going to vote for Cindy's life, attractive or unattractive? <laughs> She's like, oh, really? Right? But Cesar, here's the thing. How many of us are cognizant of the fact that the people we're around every day are evaluating Christianity to a large degree by your life? Is your life making Christianity attractive? Is it an ornament? Is it, you know, cosmetically making it nice? Or is it not? Is it not? And again, remember in Titus 2, 9 and 10, who is he talking to? Slaves. And it's crazy. He's saying, hey, slaves, even in your horrific life situation where you can be killed in the next second, you could be sold, you could be harassed, you could be abused. Hey, slaves, even in that horrific life situation, live in such a way that your life is an ornament to Jesus. How humbling is that for us in 2021? How humbling. How convicting that we're so focused on he and if only this and gosh, I want my circumstance to change. We're so negative and we're so argumentative and we're so whatever that our lives, we forget. We're supposed to just be ornaments in whatever circumstance we're in. That's a great joy and a great privilege, right? And uh, I love this by A.W. Pink. He says, The doctrine or teaching of God's holy word is given not for the instruction of our brains, but for the regulation of all the details of our daily lives. And this in order that we may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. It's not just, remember I shared the Bible, is not just for information, it's for transformation. And why is it, what is a transformation? It's so that you and I can be ornaments. It's not just, oh, Jesus, change me. I want to be more like you. I want to be more like you. Thank you, please. Me, 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 me. It's like, no, make me more like Christ so I can be put on the Jesus tree. How many of you would love your life to be as an ornament on the Jesus tree? Right? That would be kind of cool way to look at living your faith. Right? Hey, Jesus, put me on the tree. I want people to be like, oh, that's kind of cool. I'm drawn to Jesus. You know, look at all the Jesus ornaments. Right? Isn't that kind of a cool way? Like I'm looking at you like, there's a whole lot of you like, ornament, you know, look at all the ornaments. Look at all the ornaments. You got some with gray tinsel over there. <laughs> you know, just kidding, man. But you know. But here's what we tend to do. Okay? Just a little check. Loving check. Rather than focusing on adorning, many of us focus on arguing. Rather than focusing on demonstrating the joy and fruit of the Spirit, many of us get caught up in defending. Right? You got to be real careful. Are you more focused on adorning the doctrine or arguing for the doctrine? Are you more focused on defending the doctrine or demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit? Okay, now, is it wrong to defend the faith? No. But don't lose sight of what's really important. And here's the thing. I got to guess, 
If you lived your life to adorn the doctrine, if you lived your life to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, how many of you believe that that's a pretty good defense for Jesus? <laughs> Let your life be the defense. Right? Now, the Bible says always be ready to give an answer. We're always ready. But by gosh, especially today, so much of the church is focusing on arguing and defending rather than adorning and demonstrating. Switch gears. Switch gears. Focus on adorning the doctrine. Focus on what it means to have said, you know what? I give all my rights to Jesus. I'm a slave for Christ. I am free of this world. I am free to just love Jesus. I'm free of trying to please man. I'm free of trying to focus on fixing circumstances. I am free in Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit. I am just free to love others. Agape, self-sacrificial. And you know, here's something powerful too. When, when you adorn, when your creed matches your conduct, right? When you walk the walk, right? Here's an interesting thing. There was an article uh, in Breakpoint entitled, Drawn to the Light, Why Muslims Convert to Christianity. And there was this Dr. Dudley Woodbury, professor of Islamic studies. He says, aware that throughout the world, Muslims have been turning to Christ. He was curious about the reasons why especially in countries where the cost of converting is so high. To find the answer, he created a detailed questionnaire. Over a 16-year period, some 750 Muslims from 30 countries filled it out, and the results are eye-opening, okay? So why, he's curious, why are Muslims converting to Christianity when many of them it can cost their life, like, right? He says this, the number one reason Muslim converts listed for their decision to follow Christ was the lifestyle of the Christians among them. Muslim converts noted that, quote, there was no gap between the moral profession and the practice of the Christians they knew. The number one reason that Muslims were coming to Jesus was because of how Christians were living around them. There was no hypocrisy. There was no duality. I love that. Because I'm going to tell you right now, the most powerful ways that people in this country, in this valley, in this city, in your workplace are going to come to Jesus is by how you live your life. 100%. If you profess to be a Jesus follower, a Christian, and you've made that known to your neighbors, your coworkers, your family, your friends, they are watching and listening to you. And they want to know if this is legit. They don't want to argue. They don't want you to defend your faith. They just want to know if following Jesus makes a difference in your life. They're watching and they're listening all the time, right? There's this little uh, poem attributed to a bunch of different authors. Some of you are familiar with it. It says this, you are writing a gospel, a chapter each day by the things that you do, by the things you say. Others read that gospel, whether faithless or true, say, what is the gospel according to you? What is it? What would your coworkers say is the gospel according to you? Is it, is, is it an ornament? Is, is your life, is your faith drawing people to want to know Jesus because they see this transformation, this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithless, the fruit of the Spirit? Are they seeing that in your life? Not perfectly, but are they seeing that? And it's like, man, I want that. 
Man, there's so much hopelessness and despair and anger and rage. And into the, your workplace, you bring love and joy and peace and the fruit of the Spirit. And the, the, the men and women around you are like, I don't get that, but I want that. And initially, they might even like be repulsed. Initially, they might even be suspicious. But that's where you do it day in and day out and day in and day out. In the big things, in the little things, because they're watching all of it. Even at home, your kids are watching and listening to all of it, mom and dad. Right? What are they seeing? Is is your life an ornament? Are you adorning the doctrine? Uh, Years ago, I shared with you, uh, one of our dear sisters, B at Triple C, shared this quote with us that we've taken, kind of adopted as a church. Remember B? She said, bloom where you're planted. Right? So think about January 31st, 2021. Think of the context of your life, work, family, finances, whatever. And it says, bloom where you're planted. Where are you planted right now? At home, right? Where are you, here, where are you planted? Just think of your whole life circumstances. That's where you're planted. How are you going to bloom right where you are, right? And William Barclay says this about our Ephesians passage. He says, Paul does not tell them to rebel. He tells them to be Christian where they are. The great message of Christianity to every man is that it is where God has set us that we must live out the Christian life. The circumstances may be all against us, but that only makes the challenge greater. Christianity does not offer us escape from circumstances. It offers us conquest of circumstances. Amen? Amen. Wherever you're at this morning, You are more than a conqueror through Christ. Remember our first passage, our first message of 2021? We're good to go. Right? And maybe this morning, again, the context maybe of hearing this, really kind of the same message here, but in the context of slaves, and you're like, wow, really? The slaves of that time were told that they could be more than conquerors, even as slaves? Maybe you needed to hear that this morning. Maybe you're so consumed with circumstances and you're feeling oppressed by people that are masters over you or the circumstances masters over you. And this morning you can say, nope, I can choose to be free in Christ this morning. I can be free. I can choose to adorn the doctrine right now. Isn't that like liberating? Isn't that cool? It's like you're on a secret mission. It's like, next time you go to work, look at like you're on a secret mission, right? And you're going to go to work and nothing has changed. The people are still going to be like horrible, maybe. (laughs) And you're still not going to be getting paid what you think. And, you know, it's still going to be too much work, right? But you're going to go on a secret mission tomorrow. And you're like, okay, Lord, secret mission. I'm going to go to work tomorrow and I'm going to adorn the doctrine of God. I'm going to be an ornament for you tomorrow. Now, it's going to take a miracle, and I'm going to need the power of the Holy Spirit, but I want to be a little ornament tomorrow, and you're going to be on a little mission, because it might be you go there, and you like actually listen to, like you're looking now. Rather than battling work, you're looking, and you might have a conversation with someone. You might just say hi. She said hi. Why did she say hi? Why did you say hi to me? Because I said hi, or good morning. And, you know, if you go in there with this different vibe, watch, just have fun with it tomorrow. Go in there with a smile and cheerful 
And just watch people's body language and reaction when you're like, joyful. How many of you know that that would twist some people? Just by smiling and saying hi to some people. Right? Because everyone at work, it's Monday. You come in, breath of fresh air. You're on a secret mission from God to be an ornament in the power of the Holy Spirit and just bless people. Radically change your work. You know why? Because it radically changes you. And you're no longer a slave to circumstance and people. You're free because you're on, you're on a bigger mission. Amen? You got a bigger mission. And then when you're done and you punch out, you go home, you hear the Lord say, hey, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. That was awesome. Let's do it again tomorrow. <laughs> right? You're kind of like spiritually messing with people now. Just go tomorrow. Who else can I like twist their brain? Like just be nice to them. How, isn't that weird in this culture? You can like twist someone up just by being nice to them. Like, what do you want? What'd you do? Yeah. Nothing, man. I just, I just want to be nice. Just good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And just see what happens over time. Right? Because usually I share this before, before we take a communion. I share this with the difference between a thermostat and a thermometer. Right? A thermostat, a thermometer, sorry, a thermometer re- reflects the temperature of the environment. So many of us are just thermometers. We go to work and we get the gauge of the temperature, the vibe, da, 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 and we, then we take it on and we reflect it back. That's a thermometer. Tomorrow, if you're going to adorn the doctrine, you're going to be a thermostat. What does a thermostat do? It changes the temperature. Be a thermostat. Whatever situation, work, church, home, your, your family, be a thermostat. With the intent that being a thermostat for Jesus adorns the doctrine. Right? And over time, somebody might literally come up to you and say, hey man, or hey woman, <laughs> I noticed a change in you. Like this one Monday, like February 1st, you showed up and you had like this weird smile on your face and you were like saying hi to everybody. And I thought it was just like a one-off, but then Tuesday you did the same thing. And it, you've just been like having this goofy smile on your face for like a month. Like, what's up with you? And you're like, boom. You share the hope of Jesus. Share the transformation of Jesus just by being you in Christ. Amen? Amen. And so before we take communion, you're like, well, how do I do this? Man, you got to go back to the example of Jesus. Philippians 2, five, verse 5 says this. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had in verse 7. He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born of a human being. If you're finding this pretty hard to swallow and pretty hard to do and pretty hard to give up your rights, go back to the cross and go back to Jesus. Because that's what he did. He humbled himself. He gave up all his rights. Sometimes we minimize what it meant for God to become human. We, we elevate humankind. I got to tell you, Meditate on the crazy fact that God became human and what, it, what he had to give up. The literal emptying of himself to become one of us will humble you to your knees if you meditate on that. And that's what we're supposed to do. Give up our rights. Joyfully, willingly, because he did it first for us. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time. And Father, I know that... Uh, even, even in 2021, many of us can feel like we're oppressed and we're dominated 
by circumstances and people. Maybe to some degree we can even now understand uh, the slaves in Ephesians 6. And, and yet the encouraging truth this morning is that even in our given circumstances, we can choose to adorn the doctrine. Even in our given circumstances, we can choose to glorify you, God, because we ultimately serve you. We serve you, and we want to live our lives as unto you, in the big things and in the little things. And as difficult as that might be, we are reminded of what Jesus did, that he humbled himself, he gave up all his rights, and he became a servant, a slave, because he loved us. And he went to the cross and was crucified, died, and rose again that we would be free of slavery to sin, that we would be free of the punishment of sin, that we would be born again into the family of God. And if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus, what a great way to end January and to begin February. Put your faith in Jesus the best way you know how. Say, dear Lord, I'm putting my faith in you this morning. I believe you died. You rose from the dead. You paid the penalty for my sins. Then the best way I know how, I'm, I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you all right to myself. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you, Jesus. And if you're a believer this morning and you've been consumed with people and circumstance, maybe you feel like you've been in slavery and been bondage, maybe you pray this this morning before communion. Say, dear God, I confess that my heart and my focus has not been right. But thank you, God, for reminding me and speaking truth to my heart this morning that I am free in Christ. That I can glorify you, that I can adorn the doctrine now, even in the midst of my current challenging situation. I choose, Jesus, I choose to adorn the doctrine of Christ. I choose to glorify you in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I will no longer be in bondage to man or to circumstance. Father, as only you can do, keep my heart and my mind focused on you. I love you so much. And I just want my life to adorn the doctrine of Christ. I want my life to be an ornament on the Jesus tree.